action. I just have one goal, which is to make the most powerful Star Wars movie I possibly can. <laughs> Once we decided that we were making Star Wars movies, he was one of the people that I was immediately interested in. I looked into his eyes and I saw conflict. You have to lay down all your chips in front of a lot of really good poker players. I trust him. I have to trust him. Feels really nice to put Luke Skywalker in front of a camera. I think it's just beginning to dawn the sheer scope of this project, which is enormous. Beautiful. Good, good, good. It's really House of Cards. Everything needs to be, like, so perfect, you know, to get it done. I got really scared. Every single decision is personal to him. The best shot at making something good is to come into it and trust my guts, you know. So I, I don't want to freak anyone out, but... I think we just made a Star Wars movie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Last Jedi. Star Wars fans, Moof Milkers everywhere, welcome to episode number 116 of Blast Points. This is Jason. This is Gabe. And The Last Jedi is finally out on home video, on Blu-ray, DVD, VHS, Super 8, VCD, video disc, laser disc, cassette tape, 8-track. I think it's on crystals, sock puppets, shadow puppets, Viewmaster. You can finally watch it at home, finally, and there is a lot to go over with this home video release of episode eight, and we are diving right into it this week. We're just going right into all this Last Jedi madness. Yeah, the Blu-ray stuff is pretty jam-packed, I think. It seems like, I don't know, either Disney was listening to people complaining or they just kind of got in the groove now. But I feel like this is back to the, the prequel era of Blu-ray sets or the DVD box set or Blu-ray box set where there is a lot of good stuff on this disc. It's Yeah, it's not quite at like the episode one or two level, but it I would say it is at least at the level you would expect for... A Star Wars movie. Well, if anything, it's kind of a neat mix between because it maybe doesn't go as in depth and as much stuff as 
like episode one or two, but the fact that the director and the Jedi is a legit real documentary kind of brings it up to the next level of what it could be. Because it's not just like a nice long behind the scenes thing. Like it's a legit documentary, which is great to see again. Just in general, there's something just really special about watching a Star Wars movie back at home. Yeah, totally. It always seems like once you watch it at home, then it's like for real. Just because the, all the other movies you've watched, you watch them at home so many times after they come out. Like once you see it on your TV, your your TV at home that you're used to watching everything on, like that it really feels like, OK, I, it's a new Star Wars movie. It's forever now. It's like bringing a new baby home. And like when when the Star Wars movie is in the theater, it's like when your baby is still in the hospital and it's brand new born. But once you bring it home and you're like, oh, my God, I live with this thing now. You can take your Last Jedi Blu-ray around the house. You're like, OK, Last Jedi, this is the kitchen. This is where we make food. Now I'm going to go show you to your bedroom. Here's where you're going to live. You get the, you get the big bed. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And it's but it's still it's kind of surreal that I can't believe it was only what three months ago that we were watching it and it came out in the theater. Like it's, it's crazy how fast movie to did to digital to Blu-ray release happens now. I felt like the oldest person in the world because when I got the digital version and I was watching it, I think one of the first things I said, I was like, I just saw this in the theater. How am I watching it at home? This is crazy. (laughs) It's, it's coming from space. (laughs) How does this work? But I think we just saw we got, you know, spoiled by we waited two years for the Phantom Menace DVD, right? Oh, so, you know, young kids don't know how good you got it. How has has viewing it at home? Has it changed the the film for you at all? Has it changed the way you looked at it at all? I don't think it's changed it for better or worse. Like, I still love it. And it's one of my favorite of all the movies. So uh, I still like it the same at home. I don't know. How about you? The only thing is that, like we were saying, it's settled in more, even more for me, where I was just watching it, just grooving on it the other day, just like, man, I love this stuff. If I got time, I really just want to watch the space horse chase right now. Do, 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 do. Fast forward to the space horses. Well, that was great. Okay, I'm good. I love The Last Jedi, and I can watch the space horses whenever I want right now. The good and bad of The Last Jedi is all the little bits aren't too long it's not like the pod race where you gotta plan some time if you're just gonna watch the pod race but it's good if you're just like oh, i just want to watch the the throne room fight or i'm just gonna go watch the the horse chase or i only got five minutes to kill i'm just gonna watch luke milk some sea cows yeah it works good in in small doses i listened to just the audio of the whole movie and that was really great i just had it playing on my phone in my pocket and I had with with like headphones on, just listen to the whole thing from beginning to end. It's a good sounded movie. It is. And it's like even just listening to it and not watching it. It's just like, man, this movie is wild. <laughs> it's just it is crazy. And it's so fast paced. Yeah, there's a lot in the movie. Um, and we'll talk about some of <laughs> what didn't make it in the movie. that Because there is actually a lot more that could have been in the movie. That movie is just packed full of stuff. And I think Ryan Johnson even says that in his commentary on the deleted scenes that 
a lot of what he had to cut was just if he would have left that stuff in, it would have been getting real close to a three hour movie. And he just had, it's not like there were scenes that didn't work. Cause even with some of those deleted scenes, which we'll get to, you watch them and you're like, this is great. Why wasn't this in the movie? It was just for time. And I think I would be okay with a three hour star. Maybe when he does his trilogy, cause it's not beholden to Skywalker saga kind of stuff. I mean, would people be okay with a Lord of the Rings three and a half hour each movie, Star Wars movie, or is that just going to drive people nuts? I don't know. I mean, there's one thing with devouring this Blu-ray. I am even more excited than I was two months ago for whatever Ryan Johnson is doing next with Star Wars. But man, that's going to be... That's going to be crazy. I don't <laughs> I don't know if like some of the grumpuses, will they even still be around by then? I don't know. What is that even going to be like? But I can't wait to see what he does because he's a weird dude. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I've just been really getting sucked into all the making of stuff. And there's been so many just interviews and things recently just promoting the Blu-ray set. And there was some stuff from what South by Southwest where they premiered the documentary. Like the more I hear Ryan Johnson talk about last Jedi, the more he just seems like a weird, awesome dude. And I'm so excited to see him get three movies of whatever the heck he wants to do. (laughs) I can't wait. Let's dive into what on the disc is probably the highlight of the whole thing besides the movie itself, the director and the Jedi. So I think the coolest thing with this is just like we were saying, it kind of going back to Empire of Dreams or the beginning or even Ryan Johnson kept bringing up his inspiration for this was the what was the Jedi one called? I always forget the name of it. Not Star Wars. to Was it Star Wars to Jedi or was it the yeah classic creatures? It was one of those two. I don't think he even remembers which one it was because <laughs> he always says it's the one from Jedi. But but just that whole kind of a legit documentary. And then in this case, like I was under the impression it was just like the normal kind of Lucasfilm documentary crew. But he they hired. Um, what was the guy's name? Anthony. It's either it's a wonk, wonky or wonk. W-O-N-K-E. I think it's I think it is wonky. But it wasn't a wonky documentary. No, and he's real deal. He's like won a ton of awards. He is a documentarian and everyone was miked. It's, you know, that's the thing with the director and the Jedi. It's so honest and it's so raw. I was like, wow, watching it. Like, this is, I wasn't, I was happy, but I was like, I wasn't even expecting this level of completely frank and personal document of the making of the film. Well, especially after coming, I mean, the one on force awakens like was enjoyable, but that was all kind of staged interviews and they didn't talk about Harrison Ford getting hurt. And I think we kind of just assumed, okay, well, I guess this is the future. This is kind of the Disney era of behind the scenes stuff, but yeah, the force force awakens one was fine, but it was fluff, but it was like, you got, the sense that in even the Force Awakens one that they were filming everything, 
Like there's that meeting in the Force Awakens one where Kathy Kennedy announces that they hired J.J. Abrams. And it's like, well, how much even before J.J. being hired was being filmed? How much was being documented on The Force Awakens? When will we ever see that stuff? I was thinking, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, because there was an interview with Rom the other day, wasn't there, at one of the, might have still been at South by Southwest, where someone asked him about if they were, we would see any more of the footage from Last Jedi, and he said something how there was over a thousand hours of footage they had. But that they were potentially looking into some sort of miniseries to show more of the stuff. Um, but it got me thinking, if they have the Disney streaming service, that's a perfect place to just have a Star Wars behind-the-scenes show that just shows highlights from all this. Because they have to have hours and hours from Last Jedi, from Force Awakens. I'm sure all three prequel movies still have hundreds and hundreds of hours of stuff we've never seen. Rogue One, even Solo. Yeah, Rogue One, Solo, all that stuff. Like, I would... That's reason. That's I, I think I would almost be more excited to watch a show like that than even like a new live action show because <laughs> I just can't get enough of that stuff. If they announced that, I would just close the computer once I read it and just go like walk outside in nature just to take it all in one last time. Yeah, it's like good goodbye nature. <laughs> we had some good times. The thing when I was watching the director and the Jedi that I kept thinking of is. For people that don't like the prequels, like the beginning and from puppets to pixels, I've seen a lot of people use those as examples to prove their point that those movies are terrible. And here's the evidence, like here's where George Lucas realizes he went too far, you know, and all that stuff. And I couldn't help thinking while I was watching the director and the Jedi that this could be and probably will be used in the same way of like... Look, see, Ryan Johnson, he had doubts, you know, <laughs> like he's human. Everyone told us he wasn't real, but I saw I saw him sleeping. He should have been working. Well, and, you know, the I and the, that's the thing, though, like with the title, the director and the Jedi, the focus of the documentary is the relationship of Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill. That makes sense. What better way to kind of I mean, that's the movie in a way is. How are they going to handle Luke interacting with the new characters? And it's kind of what everyone's who doesn't like the movies annoyed about. So it's, 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 I don't know. It's drama. It starts right around the announcement of that. Ryan Johnson is going to direct episode eight, which is crazy too. Cause you know, from reading the art of the last Jedi book that he actually was hired and working on that long before and it's I like too in the beginning too they touch on just how big the Force Awakens was. That kind of has an interesting kind of shadow over all the behind the scenes stuff because the commentary and everything was recorded before Last Jedi was released in theaters, so nobody has any idea what the reaction is going to be. And in Ryan Johnson's commentary, there's a lot of him kind of being like. I wonder what people are going to think of this. <laughs> Which that had to have been a topic. Like, are people going to freak out? But then, you know, they went out of their way to warn audiences of what was coming. And even in The Force Awakens, like, Luke was exiled. They basically gave you the Kylo Ren backstory that, you know, is explored more in The Last Jedi and that 
they kind of told you why Luke was off on the island in The Force Awakens. If Luke was just going to show up and explode people with his mind, he probably should have did that at the end of Force Awakens, unless he had a good good reason to. Yeah, if, if they planned on having a 65-year-old man doing a triple backflip and catching a lightsaber in his teeth, could have done it in, the, in Episode 7. But anyways, early in the documentary, there's Ram Bergman, and he's talking about the pressure while um, Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill are like out in a backyard rehearsing a scene. The spotlight now is definitely on, on us, on Ryan, on, on making this movie. Which I think is great as long as everybody's in sync on what that movie needs to be. And that's always like the hard part. They felt that pressure. And like Ryan Johnson's talking about how they, this is all before they start filming and how they are like outsiders surrounded by professionals that make these giant movies all the time. And here's Ryan Johnson and Ram Bergman who. You know, they're not J.J. Abrams. They don't have experience with huge budgets and tons of special effects and this a movie on this scale. I imagined that Ram and I would be outsiders, that we would be somehow infiltrating <laughs> this world that we don't belong in. You have to lay down all your chips on, on it in front of a lot of really good poker players and say, this is the right decision based on nothing but this little tingle you get in your stomach. And, and you know, that's scary. That's really terrifying. That was one of the things I really enjoyed, too, is just, well, in addition to just how likable I think Ryan and Ram are, too, is just you could see where they're like, they're having the time of their lives and they're like, we're going to take advantage of this because we're probably never going to get to have make this kind of movie again and they are pushing for everything that they want whether it's like trying to get everything done practically which is cool but it's also kind of impractical production wise but they're like this is our only shot we're gonna try to get everything we can and make you know 150 sets or whatever they ended up trying to build two of my favorite people in this documentary are number one kathleen kennedy because I love how she is just constantly popping up in the background. Yeah. Like Monsters, Inc., like always watching. (laughs) Two, my second favorite person in this documentary is Ram Bergman, which I think we need to do a Ram Bergman tribute episode coming up soon. I think, yeah, I think that might have to happen. Yeah, he's, you think the star is is Ryan and uh, Mark, but really, yeah, Ram is the man. He's Rick McCallum with a cooler haircut. He's the dude that gets stuff done. It's like uh, Neil Scanlon's shot made him. And we scared him and his children at Disney World. Never forget. I know. I feel bad now. I actually did twice because I, after the big fireworks show at the end of Galactic Nights, I somehow was by myself and he walked right past me and I just stared at him. And he looked at me really quick and then started walking faster away. I mean, he got the note from John Knoll. (laughs) It's like when you go to the, uh, like a store and they have like the bad Xerox photo of someone who you're like not supposed to take checks from. (laughs) John Knoll probably has one of those of you face stuff around, around ILM, Lucasfilm. Beware. (laughs) This guy will just stare at you. (laughs) <laughs> he won't approach you, which is almost more terrifying. 
And I like very early on in the documentary, too, Kathy Kennedy's faith in Ryan Johnson, where she lays it all out. Once we decided that we were making Star Wars movies, he was one of the people that I was immediately interested in. I just think that his storytelling ability and who he is as a human being just exemplified a lot of the values and the sense of fun. I get excited when it feels like it's something new and unique. That's what it's all about. I mean, and that's like what their whole like manifesto with the saga and the movies going forward. It's more exciting if it's new and unique. They're not just going to be playing the same old show and going through the motions with taking the action figures off the shelf and throwing them around. Right. There's six more six movies you can go back and watch if you want to see that again. And I probably will <laughs> go watch them again, but I'm excited to, yeah, let's like blow our minds with the wild stuff and get us excited and feeling like, like going into right now, going into episode nine, I have no idea what to expect. And I like it that way. Well, and kind of right after um, Kathy Kennedy is talking about her faith in Ryan Johnson, there's a great part where Ryan Johnson gets a phone call or he gets notified that he's about to get a phone call from the one and only George Lucas. What was that conversation like? Hey, Robbie Johnson. <laughs> Don Johnson, I loved you in uh, Miami Vice, that movie with Chong, <laughs> that show you had with Chong. With, 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 with Tommy Chong, it was some funny stuff. You should do more of that and less Star Wars. It's dead end beat. They're going to make you put a Django Fetz in all of it. That's what's going to happen. Or Lucas just gets on the phone. Take two cheese, pepperoni. You got breadsticks? Hey, maybe he met Ryan at uh, Taco Bell. He just ordered all the secret Lucas menu stuff and they ate it in his car. Come with me, Robbie. Then I'm gonna get him the good stuff for you. Don't tell Melody I was here. I can only have I can only have two chalupas a day. Melody's rules. The Melody's rules are smart, though. I think you know. I've had a few chalupas and, and one sitting, and two is about this about the safe the safety zone. Anything more than that, there's no guarantees. <laughs> no, but I think I don't know. That's awesome. That you know, as grumpy as old Lucas can be, he's still. You know, Colin, and it sounded like uh, I think Ryan talked about a little bit in one of the interviews that it was he was just kind of a little pep talk, I think, and uh, wishing him well. But I got to think those two would get along because I mean, we've said it before. I feel like of everyone that's made a new Star Wars movie, I guess of the three people, <laughs> but Ryan's, you know, he's got the the Lucasness in him. He likes the goofy, but he can pull it together. He can do the drama. He's almost like a He's like a super Lucas. He can actually direct people and interact with them, but he's still got the 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 wild the wild Lucasness in him. There's stuff in the commentary where he's talking about like Monty Python references, and there's one part where during the 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 space horse race, the young one stuff, yeah, yeah, we're like. If anyone, listeners, if they know what he's talking about, please tell us because we've watched the young ones. Like a lot. There's a part where, you know, where the space horses are running to the beach and they stop and Rose and Finn fall off. And Ryan Johnson's like, it's probably the most obscure Young Ones reference ever. I was like, what? What? A space horse and, you know, a mechanic and an ex-stormtrooper falling off the space horse? What? What are you talking about? If anyone listening 
is a super young ones fan and can tell us what the heck he's talking about. Yeah, which which episode is he talking about? Is it the one where the young ones go to the 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 game show and Vivian puts his foot through the floor? Well, Poe does put his foot through the uh, speeder at the end. So maybe that was another young ones. <laughs> Ryan is definitely yeah. He is a goofy dude. He giggles more than anybody I've ever seen, which is awesome. it reminds me of someone talking about george lucas because neil scanlon's like if ryan likes what you're doing he'll come in and giggle and if he doesn't he'll just like grunt yeah well and if you watch the uh the interview after they premiered the documentary at south by southwest mark hamill is just saying mark hamill stuff and ryan is just like giggling off his rocker he can't stop yeah so yeah, and Mark Hamill's like going through his stick, you know, like there's one beautiful girl and it's my sister. It's like, man, I've been hearing this Mark Hamill story for 20 years. Yeah, but, you know, he's hearing it in person. Which, speaking of Mark Hamill, shortly after that, we start to get into the Mark Hamill stuff in this documentary where he's just flat out saying it, what he's danced around saying since the movie's come out that. He disagrees with everything. Well, see, again, I mean, and I told Brian this, it's no surprise. I said, I just fundamentally disagree with your concept of this character and how you use him. Now, having said that, I'll do everything within my power to realize your vision. Because, you know, it's not my character to, to decide. It belongs to other people. They just rent it out to me. Yeah, he fundamentally disagrees. Well, initially, he fundamentally disagreed. Or I just, I don't know. Like, at a certain point, I'm just like, I I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get his hardcore disagreement. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Years ago, when they, when they first announced this movie, or that they were making new Star Wars movies, I was like, oh, we'll probably get to see Luke in action again but i was like but is that a good thing do we want to see like an older luke skywalker in action i don't but i don't know i feel like what ryan johnson did was perfect and i like what he says in that south by southwest talk after the movie after the documentary where he you know he says like the great myths are not action figures they're myths and these care and he took these characters seriously and didn't treat them like toys you know with, with if you look at any classic kind of hero's myth that actually is worth its salt um if you look at at the beginning of the hero's journey like with king arthur he pulls a sword from the stone he's ascendant he has setbacks but he unites all the kingdoms he gets all his knights together or, or beowulf with him you know killing grendel's mother and then taking it all down and having that victory and getting his own hall and there's always that first arc but then any one of these things that then put if you keep reading and if it then goes past that and deals with the hero's life as they get into middle age and beyond it always starts to get into you think about king arthur betrayed by his you know best friend and his wife and then ultimately depending on what version you read having coming up against uh, the the product of you know somebody who has completely usurped his kingdom and the product of incest from him and he has to kill him but only at the cost of his own life and it's just it gets into darker places there's a reason for that it's because myths are not made to sell action figures myths are made to reflect 
the most difficult transitions we go through in life. Yeah. And that early part of the hero's journey is reflecting our, I think, this is my interpretation, going from adolescence into adulthood, where you're ascendant, and you're finding yourself, and you're winning. In order for something that addresses middle age and beyond, in a really honest way, if you look at the myths, they, they, like the Fisher King, you know, it deals with disillusionment. It feels like starting to fight, feel like you're losing your place in the world. It feels like everything changing and loss. Um, and that's because they're honest, and that's because they have to be honest, because that's what these things are there for, you know? And I feel like it would be a betrayal of them and of Luke Skywalker as a character not to take it seriously enough to reflect that, I think, and to just give us the waxworks version of Luke that, we've, we've, you know, that we yeah. might love and expect because he's up there and, and he has the action figure in plastic on our wall looking heroic and stuff. But if, you, if, if you want to take him seriously as a character, for me at least, it felt important to, to go into that realm. So anyway, as you can tell by my 45-minute dissertation, I, <laughs> you thought about it a little bit? There was, I've given it some thought, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of that thought was because, you know, and to Mark's credit, it was because Mark challenged me on it. And because I had to then articulate this stuff. I had to think it through. I had to get into, this felt right to me, but why did it feel right? And I couldn't just say, screw you, because this is my story, because because you can't do that, you know, yeah. you have to get into the conversation, and that's nothing but a good thing, you know, so. And I, you know, and I think part of the problem for so many people out that there is this, and Ryan Johnson even says this, or Ram Bergman says this later in the movie, he's not the Luke of this movie, he's the Obi-Wan of this movie, Ray is the Luke of this movie, and these movies are Ray's story, not Luke's story. If anything, I would say Luke is the Yoda of the movie more than even Obi-Wan. He's, he exiled himself. He's a little crazy. He's grumpy, you know, and he didn't, I mean, he's not really the Obi-Wan, I guess, until the end when he sacrifices himself for the greater good. Cause by the end of the movie, yeah, he does, he pulls the Obi-Wan for the universe instead of just Obi-Wan doing it for Luke. He's definitely, I think that's, I mean, one of the things that seems weird to me too, is like everybody loves Dagobah Yoda and we basically got Dagobah Yoda Luke. And yeah, some people just can't accept it. Well, I would be interested too to someone to talk to someone who watched the movies for the first time, episodes one, two, three, four, five, six. Then when Yoda showed up, would they be like, "Why is Yoda acting like this? And why isn't he back flipping around and throwing Senate pods and <laughs> throwing people across the room? Like, why is Yoda just hanging out on this swamp and doing nothing?" And why is Yoda so grumpy and he doesn't want to train Luke? It's very similar what happens to Luke and what Luke goes through than what happened to Yoda. Like they, and I think when people don't like that, even Mark Hamill saying, you know, Luke was the optimist and he would never give up. But it's like the difference this time is he failed himself. It's not like somebody else. He's not seeing the good in somebody else. Like he literally made a horrible mistake that kind of ruined Kylo Ren's life. And he regrets it and it's on him. Like, it's hard to be optimistic when you're the one, when you're the problem. So, I mean, I don't know. It makes sense. And it's kind of the same thing with Yoda. Yoda tried to take out Sidious and he couldn't and basically in the toilet. <laughs> and he just had to get away and be a grump. Kind of right around there, too. There's the part where they're to, it's like the stunt guy is talking to Ram. We're talking about the, the fight in the rain. Mark Hamill didn't want to do it. 
I tell you, I had a long conversation with him. He, his first thing was, was, you know, I know I'm going to have a stunt double and the double's going to be better than me. So what, he's, he's happy to... He doesn't to, want to do some of it. He's going to do some of it. We showed him the fight, which he really liked. For which one? The star fight with the Nordic. Yes. OK. Yeah. Which I think is good, because it yeah. keeps... He was worried about losing... He said, I just, he said all these things with tweets and yes. fans, how he's yes. going to come back. Yes. And I said, listen, I think we've kept it so that it feels like you're giving her a lesson in the fight. He said, listen, I'm a 64-year-old man. I'm not um, egotistical. I know that it'll be done better with the double. And I said, I agree. There'll be parts of it that'll be better done with the double, but also there's parts when we really want to see that it's you doing your thing. So we need to make sure you learn the whole thing correctly, and then we can pick pick out those moments. Make sure he's aware that his performance would be better. Mark Hamill is, he's in his 60s, like, he's always has so much energy when he's doing interviews, and in the movie, he's great. Like, it was really kind of neat to see really how kind of low-key and just tired he seemed when they weren't filming, and just how he's able to bring out so much energy on screen. But really, like, I mean, they what did they film for, 90 days or something? Like, he was probably exhausted, as, even though he wasn't, you know, there the whole time. But it does actually, he seems like he was there the whole time because we can, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, more of it as we get through the documentary. But like he's, he's in stuff on Canto Bite. Like he was all over the place just hanging out. So, you know, which is kind of cool to see because he think he talked about that in some of the other interviews of just how much fun he had on set just watching the movie being made. Well, and were you surprised the first time you watched this just how honest and like not holding back this documentary is? A little bit, yeah, because after, you know, we've even talked about that with the the Force Awakens stuff. Like, after Force Awakens, we were kind of like, okay, well, this makes sense. This is Disney. I mean, it's still Lucasfilm, but, you know, Disney's going to do more kind of fluff stuff and uh, press tour kind of things. And it's like, okay, I mean, it's still cool. We still get to see G897 walking around, you know, like, it's there's good stuff in here. But, yeah, it was like, wow, this is like, yeah, this is a real documentary and they're not trying to fluff it up but i think some of that's just the confidence they had in that the people that like this movie love this movie and for what it is and appreciate what it is and you know it it can stand on its own and they don't have to try to trick people well, there's, there's a part right after that I, I thought of that because there's a part right after that where ryan is sitting there talking to ram bergman and he's like talking about how he has to redo the opening because it's not clear. And he was like how he had watched the opening and was like, we got to redo it. I feel like I need to rewrite the opening sequence in terms of the big picture stuff of what's going on. Watching the whole thing together, I freaked Yeah, and I freaked out. I'm like, this doesn't track. You can't, you can't, you can't follow what's happening. You can't follow what the big stakes are. I got really scared. Yeah, because I, I can't imagine, like, not everybody can adjust to that kind of thing, to going from little tiny movies to these huge, giant, crazy, hundreds of thousands of people working on creature, special effect, just giant things. Um, and then, yeah, still trying to actually make a story out of it and make it make sense. It's I think the more I see of the behind-the-scenes stuff and the more I watch the movie, it's just really impressive to me how tight the movie is. And to make a part two, to make a linking, like the thing with Empire, like, or even, you know, or, yeah, more so Empire. <laughs> it's not Attack of the Clones. Well, Attack of the Clones, Attack of the Clones takes place so long after Phantom Menace that it kind of does have its own beginning of an introduction to characters, you know? If anything, what's funny, and you know, I love Attack of the Clones, is Last Jedi is like the complete opposite, almost in every way of 
Attack of the Clones, where it's like it's tight, it's edited well, and all the action to you know, which frustrates me in a way, is like just long enough. Like everything is just enough. Where Attack of the Clones is just off the rails, and it just gets crazier and crazier, and the story doesn't really make sense, and it's just so outrageous. And this is kind of the opposite of that. See, that's interesting because in my ranking of Star Wars movies, I put The Last Jedi right next to Attack of the Clones because I'm like, those two movies are both insane. Yeah, but they're insane in like completely different ways. I they're, they're if I think if I looked at my list, they're probably right next to each other, too. And I think that's the fun of getting these new movies is they're like you can have Attack of the Clones and Last Jedi, which are very different in a lot of ways, but they're both just awesome and i wouldn't not want either of them to exist and if anything their their differentness makes each of them even more exciting Kind of after that, there's a little bit of talk about Kylo Ren, which, you know, it's an interesting thing in this documentary. There's very little Adam Driver at all. Yeah. Well, and they kind of I think they they imply why with the the whole part they show is just how intense he is on set and talk about it. He wouldn't be interviewed. Yeah. Well, he was probably in like he probably had to make like Vader's meditation chamber and he would just sit in that. You don't want to interview a monster. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm a bad person. But I really did like seeing just little things that, you know, as much as we love the prequels in the in the wild way that they're made, just seeing the fact that they had Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver were always on set together doing the force link stuff, the force Skype scenes. Like they weren't talking to ping pong balls or somebody's cousin. Like they were on set with each other. Like it was just it was neat to see that like the craft of filmmaking. There was nobody wearing a blue hard hat with a Camino head on top of it. It's neat to see someone who is so clear with what they want in directing too. like him actually, no, I actually want this and it needs to be more like this and Hey, good job. And you know, like actually directing people and interacting with the actors, you know, was kind of neat to see. Kind of after that, they go to Drubovnik. Being on location has its own challenges. It's not as convenient necessarily as you're in the studio, but it's, I think, if I could shoot the entire movie on location, I would. It grounds it in reality. And you get your first glimpse of what eventually is coming in the deleted scenes of uh, Warwick Davis in that little pink Chicken McNugget Man outfit walking around. With your first butt shot in a uh, in a Star Wars movie it makes you sit up in your seat a little bit. It got cut because it was too erotic. Oh, then after that, speaking of Neil Scanlon, there's the great part where they find out that Frank Oz is coming to do Yoda, and it looks like Neil Scanlon like assembled like his his heads of department, and they made a video for Frank Oz. Hello Frank, my name's Neil, Neil Scanlon. I had a meeting today with Ryan and we learned that you were very interested in performing Yoda. We had hoped that right from the start, kept our fingers crossed. So it's great news to hear that you'll be involved. We're very excited that you're coming. We we cleaned everything. We're Yeah. We love you. <laughs> Look at this Yoda head we made. It's not it's not like that episode one Yoda. Oh. We carved it out of uh, out of fruit. We'll feed it to you. One of the greatest uh, things was that we did find the original mold for Yoda. 
and you know it arrived in this beautiful little wooden box it's such a, a, a mold of its time we took a positive from that um, and created uh, monster clay pool then colin uh, jackman one of our lead sculptors i mean just kissed that sculpt i mean one dent even change a line really we were able to replicate the puppet i think it must be the closest replication that one could possibly have i can't imagine how exciting it must have been to get to be there when Puppet Yoda shows up. So, but yeah, it's fun to see just how excited everybody, as excited as we are, they're making a new Star Wars movie. They're just as excited. Frank has been with us for about a week and we had some script lines. And then completely without any warning, he suddenly went, <laughs> dropped into Yoda's voice. <laughs> oh, Skywalker, Mr. Hillary. And I think just about everybody who was around him, the hairs just went up on their back. And it was like, oh, my, you know, it, there he was. And this little character just became, the, you know, what, we've, what we all grew up with. There's more stuff on Cantobite. There's a great part with uh, Kelly Marie Tran and uh, John Boyega. They can't tell if that big blue face lady is real or is a puppet. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. And it made me sad that that puppet wasn't in more because, yeah, it's like those guys, they're just so good at the animatronic stuff now that if I have any complaints, it's like I want those characters to have like speaking lines and stuff because they just look so cool. And it's like, you know, we got the Nemodians and their mouths barely worked. We got a whole movie of them. Like, can't we get a whole movie of these guys now that they actually figured out how to make them talk and like just look so good? Oh, uh, you get to see more of the, the the lima bean alien. Oh, and there's a great part like we were hitting at before where Mark Hamill is just hanging out in a corner. Some dude in uh, a Dennis Muren mask bumps into him. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. What's that? I can't see probably. I didn't realize who you were. Oh, no. I'm very sorry. Well, don't be You were silly. fantastic when I was a kid. Oh, thank, thank you. Cool. I mean, sorry. I'm admiring you. What are you talking about? Cool. In fact, let me walk you back to where you're supposed to go. <laughs> I, I loved you when I was a boy. <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite part. That's my favorite part in the whole thing is when the uh, the Dennis Muren Crypt Keeper guy trips over Mark Hamill and doesn't realize it's Mark Hamill for a little bit. <laughs> and Mark Hamill like handles it like a champ. Like, oh, well, you look amazing. Let me walk you back over to where you're supposed to go. And the guard's like, I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll get there. Don't worry about me. Yeah, they could have just stopped the documentary right there, and it would have four stars. <laughs> Hopefully, that guy's at all the conventions now. After that, it kind of segues into just how freaking exhausting making this movie is. So there's everyone is tired. You get a great shot of uh, Ram Bergman sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like a montage almost of Ram and Ryan sleeping wherever they can. Right? Isn't Ryan sleeping in the Falcon at one point? Yeah. Yeah. What was it? I said it before. It's like ninety days or something, right? They keep asking him how many days they're filming. What day? What day of filming is this? And Ram Bergman's like. 144. Good news is there's only only 400 days left. (laughs) I couldn't even imagine. That kind of carries on where, like, they built so many sets and so many costumes. And, like, Canto Bite's a good example of just all the extras, all the costumes. All that footage is so cool. And, you know, it's in the movie for 20 minutes. And it's funny, I think... It's right around that time when they're, I want to say, are they on the, uh, 
the Jedi tree set, maybe. And they're joking about next time they do a movie, they'll film on the set for a week instead of one day or whatever. <laughs> you know, they're learning as they go. Well, and you get a sense, too, and how determined to get what he wants Ryan Johnson is. And they kind of use an example of that, of the, the rubber chicken, the space cow, where everyone was like, this is crazy. We have to helicopter this thing in to an island to film this scene. And you get the sense that Neil Scanlon's like, we can either do this CG or we just don't do it at all. Well, and they're not even trying to convince him to do CG as much as they're like, we can do this here in a set on a soundstage and it could still be a puppet. Yeah. And, and Ryan's being stubborn. But like we said, like he knows this might be his only chance to have a, you know, he already got them to make a giant rubber chicken. He's might as well keep it going and get them to put it on a helicopter and fly it out to an island. He pulled it off. Well, again, that just makes me so excited for what he will do with free reign now. And he, for everyone who's like, oh, Disney, Disney's doing this, Disney's doing that. Like, he kind of got to do whatever he wanted. If they really didn't want him to spend <laughs> many hundreds of thousands of dollars to fly a rubber chicken to the island, someone would have stepped in. Captain Kennedy would have stepped in and said no, and they didn't. They, like, you know, they let him do what he wanted to do, which is all anybody was asking for. Well, and speaking of the getting towards the end, Mark Hamill again is talking about why he never understood kind of why Luke had to go in the end of the movie. And you kind of get the sense that they're about to film Luke's final moments up on the rock. And he's like, I'll make them pay for this scene. And it's an interesting thing because, you know, you have your own view of how your character should be and how he should be utilized. My character always represented hope and optimism. And now here I am very pessimistic and disillusioned and sort of demoralized. No matter how this comes out, if I'm wonderful, it's because of him. And if it's terrible, it's also his fault. I don't know. After a while, were you watching it kind of just like, Mark Hamill, I love you. You're Luke Skywalker, but... Seriously, just stop. It didn't bother me because Mark Hamill is kind of the king of bad ideas, and he will admit that. And if you watch a lot of the interviews, he's always has nonsense ideas. And going back to Return of the Jedi, where, you know, he wanted he thought Luke was going to be bad. And, you know, he's got his own thing in his head, whatever. He's not directing the movie, so he can he can think whatever he wants. But so but you got to think, too, like he's not. I don't know. He remembers Luke from being on set. You know, he hasn't watched. What did he say? He hasn't even watched. He didn't watch. He hasn't watched the old movie since they the special editions came out. So it's not like he's really thinking about the story progression. He's just thinking about his own experience. So like, you can't you can't be mad at him for that. He's old and grumpy. He earned it. In my mind, Luke's big thing in this movie is taking on that mantle of becoming a symbol of hope and inspire a whole new generation. He genuinely believes the light needs to find another hero. I wanted Luke's death to be on Luke's terms. I wanted it to be peaceful, to feel like a victory. I don't think he ever got to the point where he thought, okay, I, I understand why Luke has to go at the end of this. But he was completely devoted to 
making what I had written the most powerful version it can possibly be on the screen. I'll always be dazzled by the fact that he had the generosity of spirit to do that and always feel like I really, really owe him for that. You know, I don't take that lightly. Well, and it ends with a really great scene a very emotional scene of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, uh, them rehearsing kind of their goodbye to each other. And Carrie Fisher's just all about crying. And you can tell that for both of them, they're feeling it not as their characters, but as Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. Well, and just we get to see the part where where the whole kiss on the forehead was Mark's idea, which he has some good ideas. Actually, I was really impressed with and I want to say this was in, in in an interview, not in the documentary, but that the whole goodbye to three PO was Mark's idea. That was, I think, that was in the the South by Southwest interview. Yeah, yeah, because like I've you know you've probably heard me say it too many times that like that's one of my favorite parts in the whole movie is just the little wink to three PO, Master Luke. Uh, but that that whole scene I thought was interesting because it was a much more emotional and serious as that scene is in the final film that take they were doing was like even more so i know what you're gonna say i changed my hair it's nice that way man i'm sorry i know i'm just glad that you're here with me at the end it's the end is it Held out hope for so long, but I know my son's gone. No one's ever really gone. There's so much other stuff in this documentary, like little things that we didn't even have time to go over. I was so happy that they we got at least to see some of the test footage where they had a real dog in a suit made of drinking straws to uh, as a test for the crystal foxes. Just seeing all the training for the fight scene. And I just really like that whole part where Ryan's talking about how they trained so hard that he could film it like a Jackie Chan movie or something like he didn't have to do quick cuts and zoom in. Like he could just let the fight play out <laughs> some of the design for the giant rubber fish that Luke ultimately gets to carry around on, uh, on the Island. So yeah, there's, it's just jam packed with, with good stuff. And every shot of Ram Bergman, he's the master code breaker of the Jedi and the director. So let's talk about the deleted scenes, because those are juicy. Yeah, they are hot, wet, driven with sweat, fresh off the grill at Sizzler. Juicy, like Gary Busey. What's, what's, what's the first one on the disc? So first thing is my favorite part from the Art of book, the whole alternate, the alternate opening, uh, where it pans down to Finn in his bubble suit. I understand what Ryan was saying, why it didn't work and how it was confusing and it wasn't clear and it took too long to start the movie, but it would have been the wildest out there um, post crawl start of any Star Wars movie probably 
ever. So I'm a little sad to see it go, but at least we have it here. Can you even imagine if it started with Finn's bubble and then cut to Luke tossing the lightsaber over his shoulder? It has been a tease because the fact that they almost started Force Awakens with Luke's severed hand holding a lightsaber floating in space. And then we almost got to see episode eight start with Finn asleep in a box to tank bubble suit. Yeah, maybe it's for the best. That <laughs> <laughs> just made me think, too. I'm counting down uh, I got a timer set on my phone until the news starts coming out that uh, Solo will not have an opening crawl. Yeah, no one's even been complaining about that. Yeah, they're too busy complaining about Last Jedi. <laughs> It'll happen. Yeah. So what's next on the deleted scene list? So next is uh, probably the first in the long line of scenes that are really should have been in the movie, but there just wasn't enough time. It's just a longer intro to Paige where she's trying to shoot a TIE fighter and her gun jams. But I think it was cut not necessarily for time, but just because it was it happened earlier in the film than how they ended up um, unveiling the bombers. Yeah, I really liked that one. I was like, that could have been the movie. And then a little bit more page goes a long way. I could have taken another hour of the space battle <laughs> as well. That was my saddest thing with uh, even in the and a lot of the other stuff. Like Ryan Johnson is almost too. He has too much restraint. Like it's good, but I don't know. He needs to let loose a little bit. It's Star Wars. It's all right to go a little too far. We we like that. Um, so then next we have not much of a sewer, <laughs> which. Makes a lot more sense when you see it on screen. And he says, sewer. Which I like that one, but I get it too. I get that being cut. But it was cool. It was kind of the cute tie-in to Empire Strikes Back when the other crew members are just kind of walking in between them. If you're into Poe and Finn being best friends, it's uh, kind of neat to see them being Han and Leia. We came out of hiding to attack Starkiller. It didn't take long for the First Order to find our base. Now we gotta regroup and go back at him. I believe in what you guys are doing here, but I didn't join this army. I don't want you to think I'm something I'm not. Hey, hey, it's fine. You're all right. You're here with us where you belong. It's your jacket. I'm not much of a seller. But, you know, I was busy saving the entire fleet. So next is, uh, I really like this one, Ray's Goodbye to Finn, which was... I think, was that called? that? That's kind of creepy you recorded that? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird you recorded that. Yeah. I like that one a lot. I love BB-8 trying to cheer up Finn. And I don't know, I kind of wish that stayed in the movie because when I watched that, it kind of made it more clear Finn trying to take that escape pod to try and go take that little beacon that he picks up from Leia to go find Ray or get, make sure that he, you know, it, it drives home the point that he thinks the resistance fleet is doomed and he doesn't want Ray to come back and find like the doomed resistance fleet. Yeah. I don't think it would have been out of place. It was just nice to have more a Finn. It's, I can never complain about having more hologram scenes. Yeah. It does kind of give you a little extra boost of like why he just wants to get out of there right away. Ray, still cares about him and she's out in danger and he's just got to get out of there and it's more bb8 that was kind of weird that you recorded that but thank you next we have just a little one it's I mean the scene is still in the movie uh it's just a little bit longer but it's when uh 
the the caretaker cleaning the fish kind of gives uh, Ray the evil eye. Yeah, which in the commentary, Ryan Johnson is saying like that was cut out at the absolute last minute. <laughs> they just needed to get a few seconds here or there. It's just. I don't know. I can't get enough of maybe it's like Phantom Menace too much of just like Star Wars food hanging from strings. And yeah, I, where's our caretakers cartoon? I like that one too. Why was that cut? Don't cut anything with the caretakers. We'll get more into that in a minute. But in a minute, and the minute is here. Yeah, the first of the big guns, Ray in the caretaker village, the third lesson. This one, what's funny is I can totally see why they cut it. Because of the Luke Ray stuff. But man, I wish they would have found another way to keep Ray showing up at the party and the party in the movie. Almost if like Ray was in her hut and she heard a party and she just ran to it and just had a good time, maybe. I would have been fine with that. Even if she got there and was like annoyed and went back to bed, like anything with the caretakers, the caretakers look so good. We get to see the, the visitors. The male caretakers. We got to see R2 with, what, like a paper necklace or something around his neck? And Chewie shaking a fish like he finally got to eat something because he couldn't eat the porgs. Chewie and R2 went to the party. They know a good time when it's happening. Yeah, and this is probably the first party they've been to together since Jedi. They, Chewbacca needs a good time. R2-D2's been asleep for 30 years. These are two people that need a really good time. You got... Male fish nun people playing giant bagpipes, swinging around light things. I don't, in my opinion, it doesn't get more Star Wars than that. It's the closest thing to Return of the Jedi since Return of the Jedi. George Lucas should have been at that party, eating a, eating a Hershey bar. Maybe he was. We'll never know. It makes me think, seeing the scene though, and maybe we'll get this in episode nine someday, but man, we need just... A whole bit with just R2 and Chewie on some adventure together. We've never really got enough of that team up. And neither, you know, they can talk to each other and we'll have no idea what anybody's saying. (laughs) You know, and I thought of that too. I mean, uh, last week or whatever, the uh, new Forces of Destiny cartoons came out. And there's the one, was it Porg Problems? Where Ray is like chasing Porgs across the island. And she passes Chewbacca on the ramp of the Falcon and it's just Chewbacca and R2 and they like watch Ray go past and they exchange like growls and beeps. And I'm like, oh, I, I was thinking that I was like, look at that. They're buddies. Yeah. There's a whole uh, Star Wars story movie right there. Just give me some chewy R2 adventures. BB-8 can show up. Buddies. That's what they call buddies, a Star Wars story. (laughs) BB buddies. But yeah, I get you. I agree. Like, once Ray and Luke start talking at the end, I'm kind of just like, yeah, this has been already done in this movie many times. Yeah, it's a little redundant. But we did get to see Ray with some crazy force running. And I can't tell if that was unfinished or they were just going nuts with it. And it's like Qui-Gon... Obi-Wan speed run, not touching the ground at all kind of stuff. Well, I do like in the commentary, Ryan Johnson says specifically the the part where everyone is like, oh, you know, with Kylo walking into the base, like the overhead shot where everyone's like, oh, that's a callback to Revenge of the Sith. And then some people are like, there's no way that's a callback to it. But in the commentary, <laughs> he's like, yeah, this shot was meant to mirror exactly the part in episode three. And then it's just like, 
Bravo, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, he is the one that put Darth Sidious. He got Luke to say Sidious, so he may have watched those movies once or twice. Maybe he was this close to putting Watto in there. Maybe the his trilogy is all about Watto. Watto's kids. Look at me, everybody. I'm back. <laughs> it's my family. Ryan Johnson's just geek. <laughs> but you know, if Ryan Johnson made a Watto movie, he would have Neil Scanlon make an animatronic Watto that really could fly. Neil Scanlon would prepare a video. We're so excited to make a real Watto. Seriously. So next, just another uh, little short scene uh, where Luke uh, kind of mourning Han. Some heavy-duty Mark Hamill acting. I liked that part, too. I kind of wish it was back in the movie just because it would have very early on. You know, Luke is all, you don't need Luke Skywalker. When he goes off into his little hut by himself and you see that tear go down, you're kind of like, oh, he is. He's not just a total jerk. Well, and the transition to Leia kind of, you know, looking sad, probably thinking about Han as well was really cool. And this is, I think, just a good example, too, of like how on the ball Ryan Johnson is and how much he knows the Star Wars and how much he knows just making a good movie. Like these deleted scenes are better than some movies in the movie scenes, you know, because it's not like we're just getting goofy fluff that they, you know, obviously why it was cut. Like, this is good stuff. Did I say the other one was my favorite? Because maybe I lied. We have the full length, it's 45 minute long Father Chase. It's two it's two hours long. It's a whole separate movie of a never ending space horse race through Canto Bite. As you know, I like the forty five minute pod race and I liked every minute of this. I wish this whole thing was in the movie. Yeah, I watched it and I was just like, Yep. Yeah, this all makes sense to me. It's not like filler, like it's it and they think he mentions in the commentary like this was the original edit of what they wanted the father or chase to be, but I thought it was good and it's paced. I mean, it's long, but it's paced really well. Like there's almost, I think it's other than being long, it's kind of paced better than what's in the film. Like there's more kind of build up to it and watching this and then going back to seeing it in the movie, like it feels edited down in the final movie to me. And I love the space horse giving Rose a little kiss at the end of the race. Well, and we get to see Warwick Davis in his little, Chicken wing nugget costume, and he's crawling around, and Rose just looks disgusted because she can see his little pink butt like that. That's like that might if that was in the movie, that might have been my favorite part in the whole movie. Just that face she makes, and the <laughs> insane animatronic giant aliens getting massages, look amazing. Just to top it all off, when they go out of the door and there's that purple guy that the horse hits with his head and he does like a flip off the porch it's like maybe ryan johnson is master code breaker all right so the next one is another big one 
Mega Destroyer. Oh, what is going on in that? I love all the stuff of them going through the the Star Destroyer. I love the the First Order Krennic guy. Stop chasing him down. I love Finn trying to straighten out Rose's hair to make her look more First Order-y. But man, we had heard about when they get in that elevator with the Tom Hardy Stormtrooper. But whoa. I know I'm not supposed to initiate contact with officers, but I never took you for captain material. Look at you. Captain. That's it. I hope. That was another one where... That whole clip, well, in addition to just how cool the set was they built for that, like that elevator scene, like is super well, like just edited and everything. Like it gets really tense there. Like this is like some serious stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And then you just get the, you get the joke, but I can totally see where in this case on its own, it kind of, it's almost like a short film, but if it was put in the movie, I could see where it kind of might mess with the pacing because it's such a. It's such a big thing on its own. You'd be cutting back and forth from that to Ray and Kylo, like going before Snoke. And that could get real weird. But man, Tom Hardy as the goofiest stormtrooper of all time. Were that you, fan? Well, who doggy? Yeah, he's trying to out the no parking guy. Uh, well, that was nice. It was fun to see more DJ. I liked seeing DJ when he's all cleaned up in his. Uh, his first order outfit. And we got to see more of BBAD being Bubba Bad. All right. Next one is a little bit more Rose. Rose bites the uh, the hand of Hux. Oh, poor Hux. Yeah, maybe they just felt bad for him and getting his finger bit. This is a little too much. I hope episode nine starts out with Hux like going full chronic and he slips on a banana peel, falls down the stairs. It starts and it's Hux's birthday, and they give him a piece of cake. Kylo Ren walks by and flips the cake out of his hand. There's like an action scene going on, and they just keep cutting back to Hux falling down the stairs, and he just keeps falling downstairs. It's like the tower in Rogue One, and he falls down all the stairs. Big action scene going on. The Star Destroyer is getting attacked, and at this moment, Hux is taking the time to learn how to ice skate. <laughs> whoa, 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 sliding around. We love you, Hux. <laughs> So the next one is one we talked about, was it last week or two weeks ago? The Phasma scene. You know, it's cool to see more Phasma. Uh, it's cool to see more Finn, but uh, another one of those ones, maybe it would have dragged things down. But it's always cool to see someone get their hand cut off in a Star Wars movie. Um, then the next one is a little bit of Rose and Finn in the shuttle uh, as they leave Snoke's Star Destroyer. That That one was okay leaving, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the only thing with that is, I mean, that was one that must have got cut late um, because it's the effects are pretty much all finished in that one. It was cool to see more of that shuttle. I could see the dialogue maybe being redundant, but I kind of wish they would have left the ship in just to get a little more of that shuttle. I like to watch the ships. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one is, <laughs> or I guess technically the last deleted scene. Is this a really goofy one? Ray and Chewie show up see them shooting at Luke and they're like, yeah, let's just turn around. That would have been totally weird too, because you you get the sense that like 
when the Falcon shows up, it's like the big reveal. It shows up with that awesome shadow flying over and the music, you know, and it's like, that would have been weird. Yeah. For it to come back later and, oh no, we're going to go, we're going to go away. And then, yeah, the last, it's not really a deleted scene. It's just, it's beautiful. The just B-roll footage of all the magic from Canto Bite that they filmed and didn't make it into the movie. It, it was put on there just for us. They felt bad. Just non, non-stop Canto Bite creatures. They could have made an entire two-hour movie in Canto Bite with how much stuff they had there. And it might have been the best Star Wars movie ever. Yes. Oh, yeah. All the creatures... All the crazy costumes, the cool cars, all the people that we saw back in that Vanity Fair, double page spread, Horseman, Lima Bean, the, the just the, the weird old people at Canto Bite, the big slug thing floating around, the turkey guy, so many monocles and stereo monocles and yeah, purple lady talking. Uh, yeah. If we're lucky, the Disney streaming service will have a Canto Bite channel. Just Canto Bite footage on loop. I would love a whole book with the page just dedicated to every creature, every person that was at Canto Bite. Well, and there's there's so many other bonus features too that we didn't even have time to go over i mean there's like t- two whole different bonus features about snoke there's the great andy circus one night only thing where it's just the raw andy circus footage but there's one gl- glaring omission from all the snoke stuff no old man snoke no old man snoke he's nowhere to be seen only deepens the mystery of who was old man snoke he only exists on youtube and in and in our hearts they don't want people to know that there was an actual old man standing in for Snoke at times, and at times he's wearing blue jeans and a Snoke bib. Well, you know, it was originally called the director and the Jedi and the old man who played Snoke, <laughs> but they had to cut it down to 90 minutes, and all the old man Snoke stuff got cut. There's the Great Balance of the Force documentary, which is absolutely essential viewing. It's Ryan Johnson breaking down you know, his view of the Force, and especially in this movie, what it all means. And I think it's one of those things, even if you don't like the movie, you kind of have to appreciate the fact that he at least put thought, he thought all this stuff through. And whether you agree with what he came up with, it wasn't like he didn't put a lot of thought into this. And I think that's what Balance of the Force is a lot of that, like some deep thoughts. There's a whole documentary about the Battle of Crate that's surprisingly really good. There's a documentary about the opening space battle. Super fascinating. And then I think if you get the Blu-ray at Target, there's a little bit about Porgs, making of Porgs. I think there's some of that on YouTube, but I don't think it's the whole thing. So I think it's the one special thing. And there's the whole commentary we've mentioned a couple times, which it's really quality stuff. It's not fluff. There's a lot of Ryan Johnson talking about young ones and Monty Python references and... <laughs> In old video games, is he talking about Zork or something at some point? Like, yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> for the for all you old folks, Ryan Johnson's bringing up the nuggets of blast from the past. It's a good stuff. Blu-rays are back. 
will something like this continue for solo? Because if honesty is their new thing, eh, that'll be one heck of a documentary. We'll see. (laughs) And I don't, did we mention it at the beginning that one of the reasons the documentary even existed was Ryan and Rom pushed for it. Maybe JJ didn't want one. Maybe Ron Howard doesn't want one. I don't know, but it would be, yeah, it'll be fascinating if we get a little down and dirty with, with solo. Well, The Last Jedi 1 is here, and it's awesome. Go watch it again. フォースを覚醒させたレイ。ダースベイダーを継ぐカイロレン。伝説のジェダイ、ルーク。誰も見たことのない衝撃のスターウォーズ。I need someone to show me my place in all this. Star Wars, Saigon Jedi. Fulfill your destiny. Your step must be quick. Your action, sure. Yoda Puppet and the Force Lightsaber each sold separately. The Force lightsaber, a new Yoda puppet, each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back collection. And these. Last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. iTunes reviews, like we say every single week. They help the show so much, helps us get up those weird charts on iTunes where someone like searches, what's a good Star Wars podcast? It'll help Blast Points get up that list even more. So what you got to do is just head over to iTunes after you're done listening. If you listen there, write something. We'll read it on an upcoming show. And check out BlastPointsPodcast.com and get t-shirts, theme music, recipes, comics. And check us out on Facebook instagram twitter and anywhere you get podcasts we will be there we're on the amazon alexa thing we're all over the place google play stitcher all that silly stuff and if for whatever reason you've been asleep the last two weeks and forgot to buy last jedi on blu-ray or dvd or digital it's out today go out on your lunch break and buy it go on the internet and buy it you won't regret it Tell the person at Target, Blast Point sent me. Yeah, tell us what they say. They'll love it. <laughs> Take a picture of the look they give you. Well, that about wraps up episode 116. We'll be back next week with even more fun as we inch closer and closer to Solo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, folks. Thank you. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.
Mary Lou, no. anybody. No. This is just me and you because they're really only a couple of people now. The Last Jedi. Ooh. Wow. That means me. It's you, buddy. Simple. Direct. It's nice, powerful. right? Yeah. You like it? I love it. Yeah. That's a, wow, I'm glad I didn't know. I mean, it's an added burden when I think of it. <laughs> May the force be with all of you.